DNS Tires is a family-run business that has continued to deliver the same quality products and excellent customer service that you have come to expect after 50 years in the tire business. Carrying many different makes and models as well as specialty tires, DNS has you covered. DNS Tire specializes in retreading and repairing rubber tracks and tires, rebuilding drive wheels, mid-rollers, and idler wheels for agricultural track machines. Their three locations in West Point, Nebraska, Richmond, Indiana, and Parma, Idaho are dedicated to keeping you on track. To learn more, go to dstiresales.com. John Beard to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's town. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track, presented by DNS Tires of West Point, Nebraska, Richmond, Indiana, and Parma, Idaho. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we're talking the future of agriculture technology with Kurt Coffey of Case IH and Justin Blanchett with John Deere Dealer AHW LLC. We're also talking turkey with the American Farm Bureau Federation and the USDA, and the hot rod farmer Ray Bohax brings us another installment of Bushels and Scents. Finally, we hear the music of John Mullins, who earlier this year was a Blake Shelton and Nick Jonas protege on NBC's The Voice. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, innovation is a driving force in agriculture, and one of the companies at the forefront is Case IH. Today's guest, Kurt Coffey, is the head of global marketing communications for Case IH, and he's here to talk about the future of technology in the ag industry and where his company fits into that puzzle. Kurt, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Great. Thanks for having me. Pleased to be here. So like many companies, Case IH has had to pivot in the face of the pandemic and has created a virtual experience to showcase a lot of its innovations. And we'll talk about that a bit later on in the show. But first, Kurt, I'm curious, does Case IH have a mission statement or vision statement or when it comes to innovation, what is the rallying cry that keeps Case IH employees focused on continuous innovation? That's a great question and a great way to start. Again, thanks a lot. Um, our mission is to, to optimize the productivity of professional producers. And if you look at our long history going back nearly 180 years, it really is about optimization for the professional producer. That may come through a technological innovation or improved hardware, but the mission hasn't changed ever since our inception and we continue to build upon that foundation. Can you provide any kind of a scope of the number of product engineers or designers or people who have their hands uh, directly into the uh, development of technology with Case IH? Yeah, I I think I'll answer you two ways if I can maybe elaborate on this one a little bit. Yeah. I would start by saying qualitatively, we, we look at Case IH employees and their dedication to what we call Built by Farmers as the cornerstone of our innovation platform. Um, we actually are running a, a campaign that's kind of taken on a life of its own called Built by Farmers. It's it's the nobility of the farmers that we have around our company. And it's interesting. We started to count the acres of uh, under management from our employees. And when we got in the millions, we stopped counting. And so we built this Built by Farmers campaign because there's so much nobility in it. 
It would be really, so to get to the, to the specific question, it would be really difficult for me to separate the soup, to use a term, on how many specifically are in agriculture. But if you look at our, our website, CNH Industrial, our parent company, you will see we have nearly 6,000 employees dedicated specifically to um, innovation. Um, the exact amount going directly into ag, I would be, I would be wrong, but I felt I would give you that, that number more specifically, if that's okay. And it's interesting because uh, outside of maybe uh, auto manufacturers who uh, also have employees who drive to work, I can't think of another industry where you have uh, people working in the industry who are also practitioners and uh, go out there uh, you know, on the nights and weekends and get their hands dirty so that they have that intimate firsthand knowledge uh, on what it takes to move the industry forward. Yeah, I should thank you. I think we were going to do this a week or two ago, but I was at the home farm down south. And I asked if we could punt, right? So I was down in central Illinois uh, doing the job during the day and farming at night. And I said, hey, can we move this because the connection was spotty? But I'm one of those guys. I mean, the family farms about 4,000 acres and I love when I'm there. And for each guy just like me that gets to do that, get their hands dirty, there are hundreds of other employees that, that grew up just like me walking beans, baling hay. And today they help design the, the best product in the world. So good uh -huh. point. And outside of that, how much does Case IH rely on consumer input when it comes to designing new products? Uh, consumer input, so customer producer input. Uh, we, sorry, I'm belaboring this, but we we have uh, what we call CDPD, and I'm thinking of what the acronym means, but customer driven product design. And so it's we have so many acronyms, and CDPD is something that is the cornerstone of our development process. And that's where we actually bring customers into a facility or we have them use product and say, okay, it's like your, it's like your eye doctor. Is this better or worse? And um, I'll remember two or three, maybe four years ago, I'm, I'm butchering my timeline here, but I stumbled upon one of these groups in our Burr Ridge headquarters, which is outside of Chicago. And there was about 10 or 12 uh, guys sitting around farmers that they were looking at the armrest for our next generation Magnum, our new AFS con uh, Connect Magnum that we just uh, launched here in the last couple of years. And it was the angle um, as to which you put your hand on the armrest and you know where you reached your thumb to push certain buttons and people were giving their opinion on these small iterative inputs. Uh -huh. uh, but it was actually how we ended up molding the clay and the different rapid prototypes to design uh, the armrest that goes into that, that next generation tractor. So we rely upon the customer's inputs very heavily. And when you come away from that and, and you hear that kind of consumer feedback, what, what is the greatest compliment you could get from a farmer? You know, it's, it's just the simple things like, you know, you incorporated these buttons into the armrest to where I can make my uh, days shorter, uh, less stress, more. It's, it's simple ergonomic comments. You would say, well, that's common sense. But if you look back, you know, 30 years ago when I was a kid growing up on this stuff, it was a bunch of levers all over the cab. And now you can do just about everything at the, at the, at your fingertip. And to hear farmers talk about that, it's a great compliment. And we feel like we're on the leading edge of that customer driven design, if you will. Mm -hmm. So where does case IHC innovation headed in the future, you know, for products such as tractors and combines, what, what's the next generation look like? How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> all the time you want. Kidding a little bit. Um, I, let me talk just, I'll say near term, because nobody can predict the long term future. Um, 
You know, Case IH pioneered the idea of autonomy with the autonomous concept vehicle uh, back in 2016. If you remember, it was the Cabalist tractor. It was the moonshot. Everybody was talking about it. It's uh, retired at our Racine Experience Center here in Racine, Wisconsin. Um, but that was kind of the foundation of our dreams where innovation and autonomy and automation would go. But let me let me bring it back more to the near term. I see the near term being uh, iterative improvements, uh, evolutions and not revolutions around automation. You know, we are one of the industry leaders in, in harvesting um, our combine, I feel and I'm biased, but I feel our combine is the best combine on the market for throughput for simplicity, um, for grain quality. And in the last year, we have heard and we've seen and we've seen sales performance um, improvements based upon what we call AFS Harvest Command. And I don't want to sound like a commercial. I'm answering your question talking about automation. This is a feature set within our um, existing Combine Axial Flow platform that allows an untrained operator to basically select corn and the machine optimizes, optimizes through sensors. It, it picks the right settings for the entire cleaning system. And what I've seen, but also anecdotally, what I've heard is we've had people telling us, customers telling us that this has changed the game. Uh, labor, labor is scarce. Train labor is, is difficult. These machines are extremely expensive. So to make sure that, that our customer, back to what I said at the beginning, is optimizing their farm and their productivity, these iterative automation features are changing the game. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that uh, through the entire crop cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, one example I gave you there, of course, is, is combine automation. What, one of the things I'm curious about, though, and this is a little bit like asking you to, uh, uh, to, to choose which of your four kids is your favorite here. But uh, uh, I can answer that. If you <laughs> As it stands here, what, what would you say are Case IH's proudest technological achievements over the past decade or so? So let me let me let me go back and touch a little bit on the ACV. Yeah, for sure. Concept. Um, it's difficult to say the proudest because I would then ramble for thirty minutes. We would be out of time. But I I want to start there because for nearly hundred and eighty years, Case IH has been that company that has changed the narrative. And, and let me give you a few examples. The quad track came out when, in the mid nineties. I was in my teens. That thing imprinted upon me like you can't imagine. Farm kids, central Illinois, black dirt. Our problems are, you know, compaction, water management. I see a machine with a lot of horsepower and I see flotation and, and I see all, it, to me, it was a system mm -hmm. and it was kind of a wow. And at that age, you really get imprinted upon you. And I could do this for a while with the Magnum, which was um, a little bit before that in the late 80s. And then when I was a, a baby, the axial flow, like the, the, the rotary that came out that changed the entire game, I just talked about it. Yeah, Those technological innovations really are the beginnings that so many other original equipment manufacturers follow worldwide. But I think the reason I go back to the ACV here, the autonomous concept vehicle, um, just in 2016, is because that continues the heritage. So it was the moonshot. It was the ultimate expression of autonomy, a cabless tractor. But the reason I start there is because it had so many building blocks within it that we've learned from on our automation journey. So AFS Harvest Command, I just explained to you, is automation dreams and ideas that have come from the building blocks of what would an autonomous concept tractor actually look like. 
Um, within, within that, there are so many other technological advancements that we've made with what we call AFS Connect, um, which is onboard and offboard uh, software and technologies that enable remote display viewing, um, telematics enablement, and a long list of technological innovations that, again, continue to optimize productivity for a farmer. But it's the building blocks on our way to that full moonshot, that full autonomous journey. Um, I think if I were going to talk something a little more traditional, I would probably say something more near term like um, our, our CVX drive Steiger. So and, I, and I'll, I'll stop elaborating here unless you want me to dig deeper. But this is this is the first ever CVT in an articulated four wheel drive pushing over 600 horsepower. Um, I didn't really I have to be careful here, but I didn't really get it until I drove it. You know, to get into a Steiger CVX um, just this January before COVID out at one of our customer proving grounds in Arizona and just driving, um, had our new speed tiller on back and driving the CVT compared to what I grew up on, you know, which was gears and levers. It really, it gave me the light bulb on my head about the ability to have a more efficient operation, better fuel consumption. Uh, Etc. But now that we have that technology in our Steiger Plus 600, I think is a very near-term um, innovation that we're very proud of here at Case IH. Mm. So as we head into 2021, would you say that Case IH is a technology company that builds ag equipment, or an ag equipment company that continues to drive change in the ag industry and ag technology? Yeah, great question. It's the tricky. It's a tricky one. Um, I have to say both. And, and, so, and so here's why. Ag equipment is always going to be doing hard work. Ag equipment, it's the price of entry is to have good hardware. So the equipment is going to be, be doing heavy work, long hours. Uh, and no matter what happens, the digitalization, the automation, there's going to be work to be done because um, yields are continuing to grow and, you know, we're running to 220, 250 bushel corn. This is a lot of hard threshing, separation, cleaning and hauling that will continue to get done. Um, having said that, you know, the price of entry being good equipment, quality, durability, repeatability, accuracy is, uh, I'll use the term again, it's the price of entry, but the pivot now goes more towards ones and zeros, which is the technology. Um, we're both, and I say very, you know, very boldly, we're both, because if you look at technology across our platform, um, there are automation features I've talked about, digital connectivity, remote screen viewing, um, the dealer's ability to, to perform over the air uh, software updates to improve the efficiency of a piece of equipment over the air. You, you can't, I can't answer the question without saying that Case IH is indeed both. Yeah. So in terms of new technology and product development, can you put into perspective the competitive nature of the ag equipment manufacturing industry? The the ag and I've I've been with with CNH Industrial and Case IH now for many years. Uh, but before I came here, I came from a very large uh, biotech uh, chemical seed company. It's it's this is in my blood my entire life. I, I say that because this industry is extremely competitive and um, it has always been competitive, but I, I believe it's becoming even more and more competitive. We were actually looking at some data last week about investments in agriculture and the competitive nature 
and I uh, I have to you know cite my sources here, but we were we were looking at the influx of investments creating. I'll use the term the renaissance, right? The digital renaissance in agriculture. There has been this awakening, yeah. and that uh, agriculture has become sticky. I I'd use the term sexy. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but it's it's become svelte and oh my goodness, I want to invest in agriculture because it, it's relevant. And the the article that we were looking at was it was from NASDAQ just last month in October, where there was um, the expectation is that there will be $13 billion of new new investments in agriculture technology by 2027. And then in 2019, there was nearly $10 billion of investments put into um, agriculture investments just around technology to improve agriculture. So instead of just saying, hey, I feel anecdotally it's competitive, when you have that type of focus and investment coming into an industry, and it could be traditional hardware, it could be software, it could be track and trace, you know, blockchain, blockchain technologies so that you can see where the product came from farm to table uh, mm-hmm. to track the, the value stream, the industry has been competitive and is is becoming more and more competitive by the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my angle, I guess, to give you my answer. Yeah, for sure. I know something a lot of people are probably curious about. How has uh, the, the how has Case IH weathered the global pandemic? Has it slowed innovation or does the company continue to press forward? I feel like it's really actually, just to speak freely, I feel like it's it's gotten everybody to speed up. You know, when when we first went into lockdowns, you know, whatever that term means back in, I think, March, it was kind of a moment where we didn't know what to do. And I think I could probably say that for everybody. Sure. Uh, but we have some really innovative uh, folks within the company. And I'll give you an example of something that that just really it was it was a testimony to the resilience and the ability for us to pivot and adjust to, to meet the, the needs. We have something internally that we call a six foot demo. Um, there's a guy on one of our teams named Bill. I'll give him some credit, a shout out to Bill. Uh, but he said, hey, I have an idea. So back to my comment on AFS Connect, um, it allows us through the display to do remote display viewing. So from anywhere in the world with a connection, we could pipe into a Magnum and look at this display and, and see the RPMs and how fast is it going and is is the, you know, is the remote pumping on a hydraulic remote one? Okay, so I speak a little colloquially. But what we did is we we paired that with an iPad on the A-Post and we would do a live FaceTime. So, so what we would do is our specialist would deliver a Magnum to a customer, a partner, a prospect, to a dealer to, to test it. And we would boot up the remote display and we would boot up to FaceTime and we would say, okay, sir or ma'am, Here's how you do this. And and our specialists, whether they were in, you know, Wisconsin or at the end of the field in their in their truck, could talk through and show this customer the value proposition, the operation and do an actual formal demo. It became famous known as our six foot demos. And uh, that's one of many examples where the company showed resilience to continue doing business the way we've always done business, but with a little digital twist because we needed to be distanced related to other other things around the company. I mean, I think it would be remiss of me to to say, you know, we we doubled down on some of our investments and our focus on digitalization in areas where we know uh, back to who we are and what we need to be. Uh, we're here to help our customers 
optimize their yields and improve their operation. And if there are areas where a digital investment would continue that journey, and it was maybe in the cards for, you know, the middle of 2021, I'll say something, perhaps we doubled down and accelerated in that area because we knew with COVID, we need to speed up. And so, so these are a couple of examples of, of what Case IH has been doing to be resilient. Uh, you talked about the issue of connectivity uh, on your own family farm here uh, be, being an issue a couple of weeks ago. How, how does Case IH view uh, the progress being made to get more farms connected and, and where that jives with some of the things that you want to do in terms of connectivity? Where do we stand and where do we need to go? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, before we started in the in the backstage of the green room, whatever you call it, we were talking here just 20 minutes ago. I shared with you that we had an event a few weeks ago in Milwaukee with Sonny Purdue, and um, it was with AEM um, and other members of AEM. And I'm not an expert in this area, but I will tell you that, uh, make no mistake, we are aligned with the need to get uh, the rural communities connected. Um, and that's not just, to, to, to use a term that was was stated at that meeting, you know, there are, there are tractors and combines out there that have great capability but they need connectivity to enable the operation. And Mr. Purdue talked about this quite a bit in his rural broadband initiative. And, and we're, we're aligned, we're simpatico with those needs. But I'll, I'll, to use the term again, I'll pivot on you and say it goes so much more beyond just the tractor connecting. And I don't say that lightly. I don't take that the wrong way, but it goes to the kids that are in the little rural school building in the town of, you know, pick a town of 800 people that don't have good connectivity right now for homeschool. And it's important to me because, you know, growing up a farm kid and if I were going through COVID right now, when I was a kid, I don't know what education I would be getting if we had the connectivity we do or don't have in certain rural communities and the importance of connectivity for both the farm operation, for the production of the agricultural production but also the rural communities, which are the cornerstone of our business, our partners, our customers, our dealers. We're fully aligned that we have to continue to, uh, to connect the rural uh, communities uh, through rural broadband. And you talked about uh, a lot of these new product offerings uh, be being sexy and the place for Case IH to really put its best foot forward uh, year in and year out is a lot of these big farm shows. And uh, this year, you guys have uh, had to pull back. The, the farm shows have had to pull back and you have had to pivot and go digitally. And one of the things you're doing is a great digital virtual experience. Tell us about that. Yeah, we have a new, uh, I'll, I'll use the term a hub. It's our Case IH VX for virtual experience. Um, I would say it's a, it's a secondary site to complement the farm show experience. Um, we do like to look eye to eye to customers and I'm from a little town called Ashmore, Illinois, not far from Decatur. And, um, you know, growing up, whether, or whether it was Louisville or farm progress or whatever, it was, it was, it was part of my DNA. And so this 2020 will be a year we'll never forget, but we've had to make a pivot, but to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to complement the digital experience, um, all of our partners are, are doing we wanted a landing page of our own, and that's the Case IHVX. This is uh, where we've uploaded CAD or 3D um, design of our product to where a customer could go look at the product, get a 3D view. They could drill deeper and look at value proposition, features, and benefits. 
download brochures, watch videos. It's not complete yet. You know, everything was done in a rush. Uh, but it's it, it's a new area where we have a more rich digital experience for uh, customers, partners, prospects to experience Case IH in these uh, socially distant times. Well, it's interesting you brought up the word rich because that was the uh, word that I was going to use as well. I think it is a, a rich experience for, for what you have put together here. So I would encourage anybody to go check it out, caseih.com. And uh, it's prominently there on the homepage and it'll redirect you to that secondary page. Before we get out of here, any new products that uh, we should be paying attention to that are uh, e- either recently announced or, or about ready to be announced that we should be zeroing in on? Yeah, there's always a long list. Maybe I do too. Um, we launched here just this last quarter our new AFS Connect uh, Steiger and Steiger Quad Track. This is the new um, AFS Connect digital connected tractor following the Magnum we launched in the last years. This has uh, been quite a buzz. It has uh, the new Pro 1200 in it, AFS Connect technology, like I said, remote display, remote viewing, and the list is long. In addition to that, it's not brand new, but very exciting, and I'm very proud of our uh, our new speed tiller. This is uh, it was an acquisition that we made actually in the last 12 months uh, of a, of an existing company, but this speed tiller is a high speed disc that is dual season. And um, like I said, being from Central Illinois, you can run this thing deep in the fall, handle your trash. You can come back in the spring and uh, and and hit it lightly and have a ha- have almost seed bed ready. Uh, but our new speed tiller, we're very proud of, and uh, the performance so far has been incredible. We're very appreciative of our dealers' partnership in this new acquisition. The order coverage has been very good, and we're just so excited about the performance, both on on sales but also agronomics. Um, but I'm really glad you let me come on here today. It was a great experience. Well, if you want to know more about everything going on with Case IH, make sure you head on over to their website, caseih.com, or head on over to your local Case IH dealer. And again, we've been talking with Kurt Coffey, the head of global marketing communications for Case IH. DNS Tires is a family-run business that has continued to deliver the same quality products and excellent customer service that you have come to expect after 50 years in the tire business. Carrying many different makes and models as well as specialty tires, DNS has you covered. DNS Tires specializes in retreading and repairing rubber tracks and tires, rebuilding drive wheels, mid-rollers, and idler wheels for agricultural track machines. Their three locations in West Point, Nebraska, Richmond, Indiana, and Parma, Idaho are dedicated to keeping you on track. To learn more, go to dstiresales.com. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, if you've been following the program for any length of time, you know one of the topics we like to keep at the forefront is agriculture, technology, and innovation. And this week, I want to welcome in Justin Blanchett, who is the Precision Ag Business Manager for AHW LLC. They're a 16-store John Deere dealership in East Central Illinois and West Central Indiana. And Justin, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you for having me. Well, I tell you, from a dealership standpoint, when we talk about technology, one of the prevalent topics these days is that of telematics and being able to have so much information and so much digital control at your fingertips has really been a game changer, hasn't it? Yeah, that's that's the truth. Uh, it's something that's kind of crept up on us, honestly. It's something that's been in the marketplace about 10 years now. And uh, the last couple of years, we've really got some traction and tools to uh, help us help our customers. And how has that uh, been a game changer? How, how has it really helped farmers to take what they do to the next level? Yeah, so there's uh, so many different facets of telematics, but uh, I'll speak primarily to the support piece where 
Um, we're able to diagnose machine problems, ultimately preventing failures and things before uh, they're catastrophic, so to speak. The ability to find machines when they're in distress, um, recall those trouble codes, potentially arrive on site with the parts in hand uh, very efficiently, get the customer back up and running and minimizing his downtime. Um, on the other side, the uh, customers have also um, embraced and in, in utilizing it to in a way that, um, you know, we've been collecting maps and so forth for about 25 years, but honestly, the telematic piece has streamlined and simplified that so dramatically that we've seen an exponential amount of uh, new customers making maps and so forth just because of the simplicity and the telematics enable that stuff to quite honestly magically um, make make its way to their phones you know wherever they want to digi digitally reference it from well it's so interesting because there was a day when uh, you, you know you, you put seed in the ground where you hoped it would it would grow best and uh, and, and just kind of went on old school knowledge and what had always been done. And now so much of that guesswork has been taken out of it that, uh, it, you know, we, we've got stuff that can tell you precisely where to put it, precisely what depth and, uh, it, you know, what soil temperature is, quality is. And, and it's just uh, it, it's helped the whole industry really take off, hasn't it? Very much so. The uh the thing that I relate it most to that, you know, what we're doing today is is theoretically been done for 20 or more years. Mm -hmm. It's just that we've we've streamlined that, made it simple. Um, there's an audience out there that since the late 90s has been making maps and so forth. But um, of course, in you know the early days, you're you're collecting that information. You've then got to get it onto a storage device and get it somewhere safely. Um, all too often, that stuff would be lost in the wash machine or yeah. uh, where, wherever, never making its way to the safe storage place. And quite honestly, along the way, a lot of people gave up on um, even trying because it was so complex or complicated to do so. And the last five years, the, the streamlining and, and simplification with the telematics, again, that magical, wow, I just completed that field and all of that information is right at my fingertips on my phone, whatever device. Um, enabling me to to make better educated decisions, um, make me more profitable well, as a farmer. You bring up a good point there because I know data is such a key consideration. These machines collect so much data uh, that's helpful for customers, dealerships, and manufacturers. But to make it work for you, you first have to understand what's there and then know what to do with it. Very true. And uh, quite honestly, it can be very overwhelming for um, a lot of our customers and what we we position ourselves to uh, to help assist them, I guess, if you will, tackle that mountain of data, um, translate it into something meaningful to them. And every farm operation has a different value proposition, I guess, when it comes to data. Um, some meticulously drilling down to uh, exactly how many gallons or ounces, for that matter, of fuel were utilized uh, in in a harvest task and others that are just satisfied with, uh, you know, producing a yield map and, and having a, an autopsy, I guess, of how you performed 
throughout the year. Well, tell me about AHW's role in all that, because it doesn't just end when, when you sell a piece of equipment. Uh, as you say, you guys are there to support that. And I think sometimes that uh, uh, farmers forget that, that, that they have that resource there available to kind of help them walk through the process. Yeah. And as a, as a dealer, we've got our sales position kind of uniquely with the centralized support center uh, where we've got dedicated individuals year round and whether our customers are in the cabs or in their offices, uh, doesn't matter what they're trying to accomplish. We'll say we've got individuals that are experts and able to, to take their hand and accompany them along the journey. Some of these things that are um, intimidating, overwhelming, helping them, um, you know, realize that it, it's possible and sort it out for them, if you will. The, um, the telematics also give us the ability to remote in and physically see the cab, the, the display that's in the cab with the growers. And um, I was even one somewhat of a naysayer early on in the value or benefit of being able to remote into a customer's monitor. Um, I've been doing this for more than half my life and close to 25 years. So I've got a pretty good idea what all them button pokes do. But often when a customer calls and presents his problem to us and we lay eyes on his monitor, um, we quickly identify two or three other things that he maybe doesn't recognize or realize he's got uh, kind of out of whack. And ultimately catching those things early on, it's hard to put a, a price or a value on catch, you know, problem detection early and ultimately getting uh, as big of a, a accurate pristine sample of information is at all possible. So AHW as a dealer's got ourselves positioned with our centralized support center, um, you know, able to, to support our customers in whatever phase of the journey they're in, if they're just getting started or if they're the, the pioneers that have been here for 20 years, um, we have the experts to to help them along the way. Well, that's a good point that you make because time really is in many of these situations of the essence. And you think about the, the days when you used to have to wait for a piece of equipment to get loaded up and taken into the shop, or you had to wait on a technician. And now many times uh, with just a phone call, uh, you guys can be on it in a matter of minutes. And, and like you say, maybe stave off problems before they become a big issue. And, and I know within that uh, data security is, is another point that we should stress because I know uh, there's a lot of people when they hear about, uh, you know, somebody getting into my machine, whether it's my computer at home on, on the desk or if it's my, my tractor or combine or whatever, and, and there's this transfer of information or somebody else poking around behind the scenes, people start to get a little bit leery, but th th they really should have no reason to uh, be concerned about that when they're dealing with this process, should they? That's that's right. Um, we We recognize the sensitivity of that data. And uh, you know, go to go to all extremes to to keep that sensitive information private and specific to the customers, um, all the way to the extent, if you will, that those of us at the dealership that have access to the grower's information have signed non-disclosure agreements that um, that's that's sensitive information. It's recognized that way, and uh, that's. That's been a, a comforting piece for the customers, you know, recognizing how how sensitive we are of that information, and quite possibly, quite honestly, um, you know, some are more sensitive to that than financial information, and we acknowledge that and understand. 
is financial information, quite honestly. Well, I know you say you've been around this business a long time. What to you is the most exciting uh, development with all this technology and and where you see it all heading? What, what, What gets you excited when you think about where we're headed with all this? Yeah, I got to tell you, born and raised farm kid, uh, I see the technology coming into agriculture in the 90s, and I'll be quite honest with you, I was I was somewhat of a naysayer back then, and uh, I've really been proven that the efficiency gains, the, um, the ability to be more effective, do better with your resources, managing your margins and so forth, precision ag is, um, you know, become a vital component to that. But hands down, the you know I've seen some pivot points. In hindsight, I would say the the mapping ability in the 90s, um, auto track ability in the 2000s. But I don't think any so much as what we're living through right now with the telematics. And I can think of myself 10 years ago so often drive out to a machine to literally spend 30 seconds poking a button because there was a communication breakdown um, initially and. Often the customer is frustrated that they waited two or three hours for somebody to arrive to poke a button. And the technician is just as frustrated that uh, he deviated two or three hours out of his path to press a button. Um, the ability now to remote to that, to that machine, identify those problems very quickly, get that guy going, moving, putting seed in the ground. Um, I'd like to say every minute counts, but it's literally every second counts. So, we're we'd like to keep them in the in the groove and we know uptime is everything well this is all really fascinating stuff justin and if folks want to know more about the work being done by ahw where can they go to learn more ahwllc.com our website would be a good place to visit um you can read all about the solution center and how we support our customers in their technology challenges. So I hope you go check them out, ahwllc.com. And Justin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Of course. Have a good afternoon and weekend. And we've been talking with Justin Blanchett, who is the Precision Ag Business Manager for AHW LLC. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Next up on Fast Line Fast Track, Thanksgiving is next week, and I wanted to take just a moment to share with you these sentiments from my friend, the Dean of Farm Broadcasting, Orion Samuelson, who will call it a career at the end of the year at 87 years young. Don't ever forget who is producing the food. That's why with Thanksgiving coming, I always say, if your invocation uh, says, bless the hands that prepared it, I say, bless the hands that produced it. Well, some good news as we talk turkey in preparation for next week's big Thanksgiving feast. Farm Bureau's 35th annual survey indicates the average cost of this year's Thanksgiving feast for 10 remains affordable at $46.90 or less than $5 per person. This is a decrease of $2 and a penny from last year's average of $48.91. The centerpiece on most Thanksgiving tables, the turkey, 
costs less than last year at $19.39 for a 16-pound bird. That's roughly $1.21 per pound, down 7% from last year. The survey results show that retail turkey prices are the lowest since 2010. The shopping list for Farm Bureau's informal survey includes turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, rolls with butter, peas, cranberries, a veggie tray, pumpkin pie with whipped cream, and coffee and milk, all in quantities sufficient to serve a family of 10 with plenty of leftovers, and I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Well, this week, the USDA also weighed in on turkeys. Here's what they had to say. And now, it's turkey time. (laughs) Ah, that's a turkey, all right, but not the real bird. It's Curly from the Three Stooges. Good job there, Curly. (laughs) Yuck, yuck. And now another turkey sound, one we hear all the time. A turkey doing a great swan dive into a bucket of cranberry juice. Again, not a real turkey. That was me making the sound since the turkey was wearing a snorkel at the time. And finally, of course, that's the real thing. But are you uncertain about where all this turkey talk is going? So am I. Yeah. Well, anyway, when it comes to turkeys this year, especially. There's a fair amount of uncertainty. There is. Agriculture Department Livestock Analyst Shale Shagham. The uncertainty for those producing, selling, and buying turkeys all goes back to this COVID situation. It's possible that family gatherings and such may be smaller this year or not happening at all. So that would affect how many turkeys will be bought. And maybe it would affect how big a turkey some of us may be buying. And it could affect what we pay for that turkey. Shale Shagham first looks at supplies of frozen and turkeys. Now, in October, production edged up a bit, taking it about 3% above the same month last year. But most of the birds that we buy at Thanksgiving come from stocks of frozen birds that are built up over the past year. And in that regard, stocks of frozen hens, they were running about 17% below a year ago. And that has led to an uptick in the prices supermarkets pay for those turkeys. For example, in the first two weeks of November, we have prices for frozen uh, turkeys at wholesale of a dollar fourteen a pound compared to about a dollar a year ago. Mm, normally, you would think that that would lead to higher prices for us at the supermarket than last year, but again, there's uncertainty about that. Because stores often use turkey prices as, a, as an incentive to bring in consumers to buy the other fixins that normally go with uh, the Thanksgiving meal. But with stores having to pay more for turkeys, is that going to happen as much this year? Shagam says if you look at the numbers of stores nationwide currently running specials... They are above a year ago. Wow. And as far as the prices being offered in this week before Thanksgiving... We're seeing average prices on featuring at about 84 cents, which is about the same price as we saw last year. At my store, frozen turkey's running uh, 39 to 43 cents a pound. But with smaller holiday gatherings this year, will we be buying as many pounds as last year? Turkey producers may have considered this a possibility because as far as the weights of the turkeys being produced... For the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, there have been a number of weeks where those weights have been below a year earlier. Now, many of us buy the same sized bird every year. It's automatic. But this time, with possibly smaller family gatherings, many of us may need to change what we buy. We asked Meredith Carruthers with the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service what's a good formula for how big a bird we need to feed everybody and not run out. So we generally recommend to follow about a one pound per person rule and then about a pound and a half if you would like to have leftovers. And I would like to have leftovers. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. 
I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You ignore the exhaust leak on your gas-powered pickup truck. It seems to run fine, and the leak is from a cracked exhaust manifold, a real burden to fix. You run it like that for a year, and then the engine seems to be losing power and eventually hardly runs. The shop in town tells you that the catalytic converter is plugged, and to replace it is around $1,500 with labor. The cracked exhaust allowed false air to be introduced, tricking the engine's oxygen sensor to thinking the mixture was lean and adding fuel. Over time, the rich mixture plugged the catalytic converter. If you only replace the catalytic converter, the same thing will happen again. You would have saved the equivalent of 428 bushels of corn if you would have fixed the exhaust leak when it happened. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where you might recognize our guest from his stint as a contestant on NBC's The Voice earlier this year. He has some new music out, which we're going to talk about in a bit. John Mullins, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much for having me. Seriously, it's it's incredible. I'm super excited. How have you been? Good, man. Just uh, staying busy. I feel like... Uh, you know, back in the day, I could just release music and it would be fine. And uh, it would just, if it got plays, it did. If it didn't, it didn't. But now I feel like there's so many steps to releasing music. And uh, yeah. maybe I just know more now. And it's uh, it's keeping me super busy and I'm very excited about it. Well, I tell you what, we're going to get into that a little bit later on here because that's one of the things that I'm curious about here in terms of just how you <laughs> go about that in the midst of a pandemic because I've talked to so Ooh. many people the past few months and you know when we started out talking about this back in april you know we thought this was just going to be a thing that was going to last a little while but it's become a way of life here so we'll get into that a little bit i understand you were on a uh, distillery tour earlier today yes you're in okay enough shape to do the show tonight you all right oh we're good i actually it's funny i don't drink so we did a distillery tour and it was incredible to see like uh, it was it was really cool to see everything that goes into making um, whiskey and uh-huh. just all of the extra steps and everything like that. It was absolutely it was it was mind blowing to see all the steps that go into it. It's not just like mash it up, extract it, and whatever. Like it's just it is a a multi billion dollar thing. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Where so, were you at? Uh, we went to the Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg. Tennessee. And uh, yeah, it's funny. People ask where I'm from and I usually say Lynchburg, Virginia. And whenever I, I'll just say Lynchburg. And then like before Virginia comes out of my mouth, they'll be like Tennessee because you know, (laughs) Tennessee whiskey, whatever. So uh, Jack Daniels. So yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun. We got to take a tour and uh, all the, all the shops. I love it. All the shops around them. So that was cool. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, we'll get into talking voice and new music later. But first, we want to learn more about you. Uh, tell us a bit about where you grew up and who some of your musical influences are. Yeah. So I grew up, I, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, moved to Florida, spent about five years there. And then we kind of planted our seeds in Lynchburg, Virginia, Central Virginia. It's called Hill City, the worst place to learn how to drive a stick shift, which is what I <laughs> learned how to do there. And uh, so I was 11 years old, started playing music. It was trumpet that I actually picked up first. 
Uh, my family didn't have much money. I wanted to do band class. And we just kind of, we had, my dad was a trumpet player. So we picked up whatever was in the house. I took it and I practiced three hours a day, got into all state band and worked my tail off. And then uh, in the freshman year of my high school, um, we were in band class and there was a new uh, choir director and she, or t choral teacher, vocal teacher and so she came into the court uh, to the band class and my teacher said don't let her catch you singing out in the hall or she'll pull you in and she'll make you sing <laughs> and uh so i was like man that would be weird my mom sang my my mom sings my sister sings my dad even sings a little bit and i was like maybe i should you know try singing i tried out for a male acapella group um, and it was the first day that she was doing it. She was trying something else. Like it was doo-wop music and I tried out and I have no clue out of all the people in my high school that tried out. I was one of the ones that, one of the eight that made it. Nice. And, um, when I started singing, I was like, this is really cool. Like it's so different than playing trumpet. Um, at that time, some of my biggest music influences were like Jeremy Camp, uh, like old school, you know, Christian, not he's mm -hmm. not very old school, but Christian music, uh, contemporary Christian music, Jeremy Camp. I love like Newsboys. And then I, I started taking guitar lessons. Um, my sister, on my sister's 16th birthday, I was 14, still a freshman in high school. We were driving and somebody T-boned us on the way to school. And just, we got in the worst, like scariest accident. And out of that accident came my first guitar. I was like, I should try picking up guitar. I took guitar lessons for about three months um, from a guy at church. And he was like, you know, I've taken you pretty much as far as I can take you. I'm one of these people that when you start something, you latch onto it until you can like finish it. You become kind of obsessed with it. So I was practicing trumpet like two hours a day, guitar two and a half hours a day. I'd fall asleep with one of the instruments in my hand every night. And um, he was like, I took you as far as I can take you after three months. He said, but let me tell you this. I think you can do this. He's like, I think you can write songs. And I was like, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and so he taught me how to write my first song, which was like horrible, by the way. And um, he, from the moment I performed that first song for like my mother and my father and my sister, I was like, this is what I need to do for the rest of my entire life. And so for the rest of high school, there was a battle between being a singer songwriter or being a trumpet player. I had options for both schools. Um, and I ended up taking the singing route. So I went to college for opera. And um, then after college, I stayed in Chattanooga for a little bit. And then I, I talked to a, a guy who I, I met. He's a, an incredible songwriter, a platinum uh, songwriter. And uh, he talked to me and he was like, you know what? Move to Nashville and I'll work with you on songwriting. And that's what I did. That's what brought me here. And here I am now. It's, it's been crazy. What a crazy journey. To talk through it again, it just sounds weird, but. That's awesome. Maybe because when people see, you know, get, get that introduction on the voice, it, I, I'm sure a lot of them don't really even think about that journey, but it was far from an overnight journey from you. That, that There's a lot of hard work that went into it, I would imagine, especially once you hit Nashville. Still is. <laughs> Still yeah. is a ton of hard work. So, you know, the uh, 
the thing there about the, uh, the the voice, I know a lot of folks are interested in that. But before we talk about that, uh, we got to get into uh, talking about uh, your mentor today. Uh, some some big news on the Blake Shelton front. Today. Yes. So what do you think about that? Anybody who didn't hear about that, uh, Blake <laughs> Shelton and uh, Gwen Stefani uh, uh, announced an engagement today after a few years of kind of toying with the media and everybody else uh, made it uh, uh, social media official, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's incredible. Honestly, it's um, to see, to be able to enter, and I'll we'll talk about this a little more later, I guess, but like to be able to interact with him and see how he just acts with people, man, it's, it, if he would have proposed to Gwen and she said no, it would have been a real real huge surprise because he's just such a personable incredible person uh -huh. so <laughs> but all the best to them that's absolutely amazing well you joined the ranks of some other former voice contestants have been on the show before we've had josh gallagher on here and james dupre and cody wickline i've had a chance to do some work with craig wayne boyd before and it seems like in talking to all those guys they each took uh, a little bit different experience uh, away from it uh, what what was that whole experience like for you it was the weirdest, best emotional roller coaster I've ever been on in my entire life. Um, my stomach was pretty much always in knots, twenty four seven. Um, but it was also the the family, like the cast. We became such a close, tight knit family. Um, but we were always kind of on the edge of our seats. But we always kind of like distracted each other by going out to eat or playing Uno or like playing like whatever weird games we could and like it was just the experience as a whole i would if i was able to like try out again in the future i might not do it but if i had to go back and redo it mm -hmm. i would i would i would do it all over again i just don't think i'd do it a second time even though you're not able to i don't think i'd do it a second time because it just it takes up a lot of time it uh -huh. takes up it's it's i probably can't talk too much about how long this takes but it takes up a very very large span of time that's something that i wouldn't be able to especially the way music is going right now for me i, I wouldn't be able to sacrifice that time a second mm -hmm. a so second did you, time did you have to move to uh la for a short time to be able to do that or how'd that work yeah so you uh you can't like pick up and move your family or your dog or anything like that you go by yourself um yeah. and you go for it, depending on how far you make it, you go for an expansive amount of time. Uh-huh. It is. And, yeah. And, and it's and that whole season, was that all tape pre-COVID? Um, everything but the live shows. Mm -hmm. So everything was pre-taped except the live shows. Mm -hmm. So um, and they figured out an incredible way to make it work with, you know, at home. Um, you know, they really worked with what they had. Yeah. And this and this season they've done a really great job figuring out how to make it work as well with everything still in place. So one of the coolest uh, videos that's floating around out there uh, was uh, from the blind auditions and you, you picked what seems like to me, the perfect song and Andy Grammer <laughs> don't give up on me. Why did you choose that particular song? You know, so my wife and I, I'm going to go back just a little bit. My wife, Whitney and I, we met in college, uh, my second year of college. Mm -hmm. We have both lived in three of the same cities at the same time. 
in different states. So we both had lived in Sarasota, Florida. We had both lived in Lynchburg, Virginia, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, all at the same time. And we finally met in the third city. We didn't meet wow. in any of the other cities. And so it was meant to be. And so I just want to preface that my my wife is the most special person to me on this earth. And right after after we got married, about a year and a half after we got married, she fell forward on concrete. Start she hit her head at work. Back up. She was at work, fell forward on concrete, hit her head, knocked herself out. Mm. And then she came to, I, I went to her work um, and picked her up, took her to the hospital. They were like, you've got a small, a slight concussion. Everything's going to be fine. And I was like, okay. So the next day she starts losing speech. She starts losing motor functions. She starts losing short-term memory. She starts having panic attacks and she starts developing anxiety. Hmm. Things we had never dealt with ever before. And, uh, it was almost like in one day our life just flipped upside down and we couldn't communicate. I couldn't, every time I asked her what was like wrong or what I could do to help, like there was just nothing. And um, I'm a fixer. Like if, if my wife needs something, I want to fix it. If she needs, except cars, I'm not a fixer with cars, but I'm a fixer when it comes to, you know, our relationship or for people I care for. Like if my wife is hurting or having a hard time, I want to be able to know. And just imagine going through, imagine going through the most, the scariest, most devastating time in your life and not being able to even put a sentence together to tell your significant other how you're feeling. Like it's, it is so scary. And it was the hardest time in our lives and the voice had kind of picked up on the tail end of that. And so um, we were still kind of in the thick. We're still trying. Like we say, she's 85% recovered now. Still struggles with anxiety and panic. But she, we were listening to a song. And I was like, man, I really don't know what to sing for this audition. And she goes, I think I have the perfect one. We were in the Walmart parking lot. And she pulls up this song on Spotify. And we both, after the first line, I will fight, I will fight for you. I always do until I, till we're black and blue. Mm. We both, we both just started crying in the Walmart parking lot. And it was absolutely insane. And I was like, that's the song. And there are multiple levels. There are multiple auditions that you do before you get to a certain spot. And, um, but thankfully we all saw fit to sing that song. And I don't think there could have been a better song mm. to sing that really related to my story. Well, I tell you for anybody who hasn't had a chance to see it, it's out there. Make sure you go and check that out. And I defy you to not get emotional, especially knowing the backstory <laughs> behind it, because I know I did when I saw it. And uh, I'm going to play you Kelly Clarkson's reaction because what she says about you is a big reason that I wanted to have you on the show because for the most part, we've stuck on the show to kind of true traditional country music. And I'll absolutely love that music and champion it till the day I die. But I also believe that the great music is great music and great artists are great artists. And uh, regardless of genre, and I think you have a tremendous gift here, my friend. And I want to share with you Kelly's uh, summary of your talents here.
of my coaching career on The Voice. Oh, my God. I mean, I've been in Nashville for quite a bit. They probably don't know what to do with you, John. That voice is big. That range. I mean, you could do It's Broadway. almost like somebody that could win The Voice. It's so weird. It's like... <laughs> Coming from somebody with a big voice herself, known as one of the biggest, that, that's high praise. Pretty insane. It's pretty insane because she is an absolute icon. So to be able to, to get that type of feedback from her was amazing. Do you still get goosebumps when you see that? You know what? I Here's the deal. I, I see that and it almost gets me super giddy. Um, not so much goosebumps anymore. I, Whenever I see the blind audition, um, I honestly relive that moment, and it feels just really emotional every uh -huh. single time I sing that because I know how I felt on stage, and I know what my heart really wanted to tell the audience. My, my goal wasn't like, I wasn't gonna like, I'm gonna go out there and win. Like this was just my t my chance to share my story and my heart and my love for my wife and my voice with the world. And I was like, I want to grab this chance. Just I want to grab it as hard as I can. And I just want to run with it. And that's honestly what I did. I just sang my heart out and uh, and hoped for the best. <laughs> What was it like having to put it? Cause you talk about your, your own personal experience. And I think that gives people a great sense of uh, where you're drawing from that emotion on any of those ballads. You know, you, you, you duked it out there with Todd Tillman on Shenandoah's Todd ghost in this house and that <laughs> man, just uh, su such uh, such raw emotion there. What was it like having to kind of lay all that bare, everything that uh, I'm sure the producers were wanting to put out there to, to kind of evoke that emotion. Yeah, and I will tell you, I'm I'm pretty much an open book. I'm I'm super used to. Uh, my wife is a, she's a business owner, and she works a lot on social media. So we weren't we weren't strangers to sharing her story. Mm -hmm. um, but I will tell you, the producers were incredibly respectful about everything, and um, you know they had said, you know, if we get to a point where you don't want to talk about something, just say you don't want to talk about it. I never got to that point because I just talk. Uh, <laughs> I'm a horrible talk. Like I'm a horrible speaker when it comes to like getting up in front of people. Uh, but you know, when it comes to singing or just talking in a conversation, I can do that. Um, so it was, it was a little bit difficult at first because you go from, okay, we're just talking to these people on this live sale. My wife has like 15,000 members in her group that she blah, 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 that we would go live in. But when it comes down to them saying there's 12 to 15, 12 to 14 million viewers per episode, I was like, okay, so this is the real, <laughs> this is the real, the real craziness. And honestly, it was just the best way for America or people that are watching television, no matter what, or scrolling through, the best way for them to connect with you, connect with you is if you're genuine. People yeah. don't connect with people who aren't genuine. Yeah. And so that's that's always my goal. That's my goal through my music. That's my goal through social media posts. If I post something that really seems like, hey guys, download my new single. Whitney's yeah. like, back off, redo it, and just like talk to them like they're your friends because they are. These these people that support my music and my voice are literally my family. They're they're here for me. They listen to my 
my crazy problems and they just uh, hear me sing it. And I'm so thankful for it. Yeah, you know, right now the uh, you're trying to support the the new single "Better Man," which dropped in September. Tell us about the inspiration for this song. So, "Better Man," I okay. So, we talked about this song that I sang for the Blind Audition for the Voice. It's just it was my message to Whitney that I'm not giving up. Um, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into talking about the story behind what really happened, uh, you know, with us and. When Whitney and I were trying to learn how to relearn how to communicate, we had been together for nine years at the time. On another interview, I said 12, and that's just really bad math. I'm sorry, whoever I did that interview with. We were together for nine years at the time. We knew each other. We knew how to communicate. We knew all, like, we didn't, like, we weren't perfect, but we still knew how to communicate, and it was on smooth. And to be able to, like, or to have something like that happen, and then all of a sudden, you don't even know how to communicate with your partner, you fight, you have really difficult times and nights and weeks and every single day, it seems like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And you take it on yourself. And like, I wanted better man. I wanted better man to be a desperate love letter to Whitney to let her know that I'll do everything within my power to be the best version of myself that I can for her and for myself. Um, yeah, it was just, it was the inspiration behind it was very, very much so talking about the struggle. Like it's only human nature just to give up on somebody that you don't understand. Like we went through so many days and nights that Whitney was just like, oh, you don't, why are you even married to me? And I'm like, I, because I love you. And like, we're just like both going back and forth. And um, we just, the end of the song, I think I wrote the first, second verse, the first verse, second verse in the chorus, almost right away. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about three months later, we were about to record the song and the producer that I was working with, he's like, John, you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta come up with a, a bridge. And so I sat at my piano for like two hours at two o'clock in the morning, kept playing the chords. And I was like, I just want it to say the right thing because the verses are so meaningful and like so heartfelt. And I wanted to wrap up those three and a half years or those three years into like three lines. I wanted to somehow like jam all of that into three lines and um, or four lines. And it was just because we're going through some hard times doesn't mean we need to give up. I don't want to give up just because it isn't exactly what we thought doesn't mean we need to give up. Please don't give up because I'd do anything for you. I'd do anything to keep you. It's really simple. But it is straight from the heart and straight from tears and straight from hardship. And that song, uh, I don't even remember what your question was, but I'm going to tell you, I love that song. I'm so thankful for it. And I'm really thankful that, uh, you know, such a hard time could produce something um, so meaningful to myself and to my wife, Whitney. What was her reaction the first time she heard it? The first time Whitney heard the song. I played her the first verse, the chorus, and the second verse in the chorus. And she was like, this is the best song you've ever written. And I was like, oh my gosh, because Whitney is very, uh, she's my biggest fan, but she's also my biggest critic because she knows it's what I need. And so if she was gonna say something right off of the bat, that was such a huge compliment, then I knew it was something that I really needed to pursue. And so I am, 
I, I, I still can't believe it. I, the way uh, I'm just so thankful for the song. I keep saying it. I sound like an idiot. So please, please forgive me. But whenever I think about the song and being able to sing it and being able to tell that story and the way that Whitney just like reacted to it. And we both just sat there in silence for a second, me taking in the fact that she liked it. And like, she started tearing up and like, I'm like, okay, I can't cry. I can't cry. So I tried to write the bridge and I couldn't. And that's three months later. That's when it came. But man, <laughs> well, I'm what, giving you really, I hope you know, I'm giving you really long answers to your questions and I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I, I love, that's the beauty of this. We can stay here all night, just grilling down as deep as we want. That's, that's cool. <laughs> well, here is John Mullins with Better Man on Fast Line Fast Track. It's only human nature just to give up on somebody that you don't understand I know you got a million reasons to let me go But now I'm asking for another chance We can make this work, I would do anything for you I didn't know I was wrong, whatever I need to keep you up Be a better man for you I will learn To be a better man for you mm, yeah. First we're yelling and we're screaming And we're getting in the moment Then you tell me to get out the room It's why you push me away But I will always come back to you And tell you We can make this work I would do anything for you I didn't know I was wrong Whatever I need to keep you
So as a performer, have you seen your life change at all since being on that show? (laughs) Well, yeah. So I, uh, what's funny is, uh, we got done with filming and then we came home and it's almost like COVID just hit real quick. Yeah. And so it was really, and it was really difficult to be able to capitalize on momentum does that make sense like a lot yeah. of people are like you know we just you know we just got off tv let's let's talk to people about getting off of a tv stint and let's go you know book book some shows and you know all the lingo about people who have been on reality television shows it hit really hard um but i will tell you um there has been an incredible like core group of fans family whatever anybody wants to call them a a core group of incredible people who have followed me through through the journey past the journey into my new music into mine and whitney's um whole story and into this hopefully this new single and i will tell you uh my performing has changed because i feel like i'm able to be a little bit more raw and open with people and i will also tell you I did a show in the middle of Nebraska, which seemed to be kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it was absolutely amazing. And these people just came. They're like, I'm from Pittsburgh. This person's like, hey, I'm here from, um, I'm here from Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, I'm here from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And these people were just here hanging out, telling me about their stories, asking to hear my original music, Uh, like by, by title. And I'm like, what is happening right here? So I think, I honestly think that my career has changed in more ways than I won't know for a while. Um, But it has definitely lit a fire underneath of my rear end. And I've been working my tail off since. Well, it's it's good that you bring that up because that was going to be my next question. After returning, (laughs) you're cranking away, trying to pump out music throughout the pandemic, but really not a lot of great opportunities to get out there to be able to support it. Yeah. And so that's, man, it's, it's been so difficult to try to find the right things, but I'm also a, um, I'm a strong believer in that the right thing is going to happen at the right time. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of incredible opportunities are happening right now for me behind the scenes. Some of them that I can talk about, some of them that I can't, but I will tell you, I am able to put out music and still have money to pay for it and still have, you know, my wife working her business. We're so blessed that, you know, they have stood behind us and um, to be able just to, to work in this pandemic and make music and somehow have money to pay for it with very scattered shows um, is, is, I don't know how it's happening, but I'm so thankful it's happening. Also the shows, um, they are a little bit a little bit on a different scale from before the voice does that make sense before the yeah. voice i was taking specific shows now i'm able to like take a little bit of a different uh, level of show not better not a better show i'm just saying something that's maybe on a different scale or maybe further away from nashville just because there's that extra like time like this much credibility yeah. extra uh saying hey this guy was on the voice but we try not to mention it too much um but sometimes people ask or sometimes um, my booking agent will just like put it in the end of the email. And so it helps. It really does. I'm so thankful for it. 
Well, and that's the other thing too, because I know uh, talking with a lot of the other folks who uh, we've had on here that have been with it, you know, it's a good experience, but yet you don't want it to define your whole career. I mean, is that kind of where you're at with it? Yeah, I find that here's how I look at it. Your path is not like your path. My path is not a straight road. It's actually like a staircase. You know what I mean? And every single thing that we do, and I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker. I'm just trying to think here. Like every single thing that we do is either a step forward or a step back. I sit down and I you know, play a video game for like two hours, a little bit of a step back, but, um, but no, like you release a song. I was talking to my publicist about this today. You release a song and it's a step forward, but it's also a step up. Whether or not it's gonna be a big step up or a smaller step up, it still is. And so I feel like um, that's how you need to think of the voice. If you do the voice or any reality television show, it is a step on your path to success. It is not your success. It is a very small, but fun and incredible step on your path to success and helps build your musical family. And talking about a step forward, you talk about your uh, your publicist, Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay. I know she's on Lindsay here. Sipe. What's she's, up, Lit Nashville? She's definitely a step forward. Great. <laughs> yeah, one of the best in business there. She's amazing. I, I really enjoy her. I'm so thankful that she said yes to taking me on for better man. <laughs> I love it. And uh, we were talking about uh, live shows. Make sure you stick around a little bit later on. Uh, we're we're going to tell you about a couple that he's got coming up over the next few months that uh, if you're in the areas of these shows, you definitely want to go check them out because <laughs> right now there's still few and far between and uh, yep. all, all indications are they may be that way for a little while yet here. Yeah. So are you doing much in the way of co-writing? Are you, are you writing most of it yourself or how, how's that? Yeah, so? I'm, I'm co-writing three to four days a week uh, nice. with different people. I have one tomorrow morning. Um, you know, in COVID it's been very, it's been very interesting. I've been, I've, it's been really difficult because Skype rights or FaceTime rights don't really work well for musicians, period, because there's always a lag when you guys are trying to sing it together or something like that. And it's difficult not being in the same room and feeding off that energy. So I was very um, cautious with that. But I will tell you what, picking back up on writing has been incredible. I've been writing my tail off and I can't wait to release the songs that are going to be happening my goal is to try to have a song released uh, every 60 days wow. so that's definitely it's a huge goal <laughs> so we'll see we'll see how that works well you know you talk about the baby boom generation coming out of uh, world war ii i feel like we're gonna have a, a song boom generation coming out of covid <laughs> because you've got yeah. just, like out of their minds with nothing else to do <laughs> That's right. And All we can do is write right now. So scads of material being developed right now that uh, yes. could probably take us into the next century. Yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be a huge boom. And that's what I'm very, I'm very excited for that. It could be a whole musical renaissance, a whole yeah. rebirth of music as we know it. But it's kind of interesting, though, don't you think that even before COVID, that's kind of the way things have been trending now. We're used to you would, uh, you know, go crank out an album, then you would go tour to support it. 
then a couple of years later you'd come back and you'd been working on stuff on the side and then you go put out another album and now that's kind of the drumbeat to, to just be releasing single after single uh to, to keep fans on the hook and especially with, with, with all the streaming services to, uh, to to just uh uh kind of constantly keep new material out there yeah i feel like everything's an algorithm nowadays i feel like you know they're saying oh you want to keep your edge rank up on facebook or if you want to keep your edge rank up on instagram or if you want to you know really please the spotify algorithm or you know everything is do this this amount of times a day this is the best time to post this And, and i feel like music is the same thing right now because spotify also has an algorithm and you know if you're releasing music every four to six weeks then it becomes or six to eight weeks then it becomes you know easier for you to get on certain playlists and so i feel like back in the day it was incredible just to be able to record something release it sell cds out of your trunk now you really have to figure out how to um harness the power of social media and one thing i've really found to be incredibly fun lately is tiktok TikTok is incredible you're going just where where when you were talking about this what i was thinking about (laughs) one of the things that i've been kind of watching lately and uh you know chuckling about it's funny to me because i don't have to meet these numbers but uh uh you know artist joe blow has gotten eighteen thousand plays of his music as the background music on a uh uh, on TikTok, and, and that's become a <laughs> legit measurement in the industry now. How, how many uh, yes. times your, your song is used as uh, background music in TikTok? Yeah, it's honestly weird because the distribution that I use also puts it out to TikTok. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing is, reaction videos really help. Yeah. And so I actually released my wife. There's like really quick story. My wife actually, we were in. Um, we were in Memphis two days after the release of my song. The streams were already going up and it was doing really well, but I was, I forgot to post it on TikTok. <sighs> and so the day that we, I forgot to post the actual like music video part on TikTok. And cause uh, that was my plan. And I was like, okay, but the day I was going to post it on TikTok, my wife, our friend Mandy from the voice and me, we go to a safari park and my wife gets spit in the face by a llama. And I'm talking like, I'm talking like a huge, massive amount of spit inside of our car, all over her face, all over her body. Uh-huh. And it went viral on TikTok. And I also, and then I posted uh, Better Man on TikTok. That went viral. And I'm ta- like, what is, and that, that has right now, I think 1.8 million views. Wow. Wow. and streams and then uh, my wife i think has 2.8 or 9 million views <laughs> and then i just continued kind of releasing content the thing about tiktok is you never know um if a video is going to do well or not i just released a video two days ago of me singing and it had like i think right now it has three hundred and sixty-five thousand views and like i don't those numbers are actually incomprehensible to me i don't understand it i'm thankful for it <laughs> but i don't i do not understand it um i'm just really thankful I'm, I'm super excited about it so the new single get to you just came out november 12th tell us a bit about that one what's that all about uh so what i wanted to do after better man was to give you two more songs that dove deeper like even deeper into um 
the better man's story. Um, get to you. Get to you is where all the hard truths come out. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you some of the lyrics. Um, the first, the whole thing starts, says, if it's just too hard, maybe we should try something new. So tell me what you want. Don't hold back. Tell me the truth that maybe I waited too long and maybe I didn't try enough to see that something's wrong because you're not even crying love. You've been acting like a stranger and I don't know what I got to do to get to you. And it's literally talking about when I'm in this spot of I've done everything I can and maybe I just wasn't paying attention to the right things. And maybe, you know, we're both kind of stone cold to the whole situation and you know, we're sitting here living our lives. Uh, the second verse says, actors on a screen, we'd do anything to hide the truth. So we're fooling all our friends, show them something that they want to live up to, but we both know it's a lie and deep down we're burning up. We used to be on fire till the flames got the best of us. It literally talks about how you just had this love and it feels like it is just way on the back burner. And all you're doing is you're doing your best to make it look okay for social media or make it look okay for all the other things or for everybody else. And it's a song, the song itself really talks about wanting to get back and wanting to get to the point where we can feel that love again. And um, it's a really, honestly, I'm nervous for the American public to hear it. Um, because it's so it it is a very raw song um it's also kind of a slower mid-tempo song as well so you know you don't always release two of those in a row um, i'm not really worried about that because it's just me putting my heart out on the line and i think i'm just i'm really nervous about uh everybody hearing like that that really personal truth but isn't it a cool thing though when when life kind of writes those stories for you? Otherwise, all you wind up with is a, a bunch of whiskey and truck songs. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, you know, that, I mean, it's raw, <laughs> sure, but I mean, it's life, and and especially this day and age, there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate uh, to what you're putting out there. Yeah, that so. means a lot to me, and I, I sure hope, I sure hope that's the case, so I don't feel so silly releasing it i don't know i'm just i'm just nervous it's i'm excited but super nervous at the same time again because it's it's such an emotion it's i'm very close to that song well before we get out of here today let's hear the new one from john mullins this is get to you on fast line fast track It's just too hard, maybe we should try something new So tell me what you want, don't hold back, tell me the truth That maybe I waited too long, or maybe I didn't try enough to see that something's wrong Cause you're not even crying, love You've been acting like a stranger and I don't know what I gotta to you oh, oh, oh. 
Pictures on a screen, we do anything to hide the truth. You were fooling on a friend, showing something that they want to live up to. But we both know it's a lie, and the deep down we're burning. We used to be on fire, till the things got the best of us. Now we keep the TV on, cause it's way too quiet in this bedroom. Spotify, it'd be a good time to throw in there that uh, make sure you go get that fast line fast track playlist on Spotify because we've got music from all of our past, current, and upcoming guests of the show, including yes. John Mullins here. So, and I know yes. that I put it on there myself. So it's it's on there. Go listen to some of his music among some of those great ones that we've got on there. And I'll remind you of that again before we leave today. So, what's ahead for John Mullins for the rest of this year and into next year? So for the rest of next uh, this year, um, I've got some really like cool shows lined up. Pretty excited about them. Main thing though is I'll be flying to California to record all like if everything goes according to plan, I'll be flying to California to record a uh, to film a music video for my next single. Not not this coming single, the single following that. Uh, that should be releasing in January. So nice. that's super exciting. Um, I've got, um, so I have those two things lined up. Uh, Get To You is going to come out with a lyric video. It's not going to come out with a, uh, a, like a filmed music video. I found an incredible music videographer. Is that what you call it? Like a music lyric videographer. And she's incredible. She's worked with some amazing people. And um and then again, honestly, just trying to to play when and wherever I can and post on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's it. Honestly, there's uh, not like not anything huge, you know. Just the the releasing of these songs and being able to write every single thing I can. Um, I will tell people if you want to know what's happening, like immediately. You've seen it go across the screen. Go to JohnMullins.com. And when you scroll down a little bit, you'll see all the places I'm playing on Instagram and Facebook. It's John Mullins official on YouTube and Twitter. It's John Mullins music and on Spotify. Just look up John Mullins, J O N M U L I N S. Do not put the H in John, please. Who knows where that'll take you. Not that. Not there you go. <laughs> 
So, John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track, man. It's been a pleasure to uh, get, get to chat with you and to hear your heart for this music. And uh, we certainly wish you the best of luck with it. And you're welcome to come back anytime you want to share new right. music with us. Thank you so much, man. It's been great talking to you here. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank you for spending some time with us today. And we want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Sunday to Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things on farmers' minds, Hey, the tax man is coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get in those Section 179 purchases before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The Fastline catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And remember to subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and add that Spotify playlist to your library to hear all the music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show, including John Mullins. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here, so until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. <laughs>